Good morning, and thank you for joining us on 5 at 8. It's Sunday, June 11th, 2023. And here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we'll talk about former U.S. President Donald Trump's indictment, Canada's worst year for wildfires, Ukraine accusing Russia of blowing up a dam, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's accusations against Russia, and former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson's resignation from Parliament. Story number one. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has been indicted on 37 counts related to the mishandling of classified documents, including retaining classified information, obstructing justice, and making false statements, as reported by Al Jazeera. The charges carry a penalty of up to 20 years in prison, but neither the indictment nor a conviction would prevent him from running for the 2024 election. Trump is scheduled to appear in court on Tuesday in South Florida, and his lawyer has said that he is charged with seven criminal counts, including violations of the Espionage Act, obstruction of justice, and conspiracy, none of which would bar him from office if he is convicted. I gotta say, Linda, this indictment of Trump on 37 counts is a pretty big deal. But you know, it's interesting how these legal troubles don't always hurt a candidate's chances. In fact, sometimes it seems like they even help him out. That's true, Mark. It's quite a paradox, isn't it? In some instances, these legal challenges may actually galvanize a candidate's supporters, who view the charges as politically motivated attacks. They might feel even more compelled to rally behind their candidate. Exactly. Like... Remember when Trump's poll numbers actually went up after his indictment in New York? And his campaign raised a whopping $4 million in just 24 hours after the news broke. It's like, the more he's under fire, the stronger his base becomes. Indeed, it's quite a phenomenon. But we also need to consider the potential long-term impacts of these legal troubles on a candidate's image and credibility. While some voters may be unfazed, others might start to question the candidate's fitness for office— especially if they're facing serious charges. No doubt about it, Linda. And with Trump's latest indictment involving mishandling classified documents, it's not just some small-time issue we're talking about here. But, you know, it's worth noting that even if he's convicted, there's no constitutional barrier to stop him from running for president again. That's true, Mark. Our democratic process allows for a wide range of candidates, even those with legal troubles, to run for office. But it certainly raises some complex ethical and logistical questions. For instance, how would a potential swearing-in ceremony work if a candidate is incarcerated? Oh man, that would be one for the history books, wouldn't it? But, in all seriousness, it's important for voters to weigh the pros and cons of supporting a candidate with legal baggage. At the end of the day, it's up to the people to decide who they want to represent them. Absolutely, Mark. And as we've seen in the past... Sometimes the public is willing to overlook legal issues if they believe in a candidate's message and vision. It's a complex and nuanced topic, and one that will likely continue to be a factor in elections to come. Story number two. According to the BBC, Canada is experiencing its worst year for wildfires on record, with over 120 fires burning in the province of Quebec alone. Fire crews are battling to control the fires, which are being fueled by hazardous smoke and unpredictable weather conditions. The firefighting agency in Quebec is tracking the behavior of each fire and the weather to decide where to deploy resources. The province has had to call on international help, with 400 firefighters from France, the U.S. and Spain arriving to assist. The changing climate means that fire seasons are becoming more unpredictable, and wildfires are part of the ecosystem 
with remote fires often left to burn. Man, these wildfires in Canada are getting out of control, huh? It's crazy how climate change is making fire seasons more unpredictable and intense. I heard that Quebec is on track for its worst year for wildfires on record. Yes, it's quite concerning. The situation in Quebec is just one example of how wildfires are becoming more difficult to manage. It highlights the importance of international cooperation when dealing with these natural disasters. The global network of firefighters is becoming increasingly vital as they work together to combat extreme fires across borders. Absolutely. And it's not just Canada, right? I mean, we've seen record-breaking fire seasons in other parts of the world, too. It's like every year there's a new worst somewhere. We really need to step up our game when it comes to preparing for and fighting these fires. Definitely. Communities are learning to better prepare for wildfires by creating fire breaks and clearing dead vegetation around homes. These measures can help protect towns from both current and future fires. But as you mentioned, international cooperation is essential. With firefighters from France, the U.S., and Spain arriving in Quebec, it shows how we need to work together in the face of these increasingly uncontrollable disasters. Yeah, it's heartening to see countries coming together to help each other out. And you know what? It's not just about fighting the fires, but also about learning from each other's experiences. Like the Canadian team that went to Australia in 2019 to help fight the Black Summer fires. They must have gained valuable insights that can be applied back home. Absolutely. Sharing knowledge and expertise is crucial in dealing with these ever-changing challenges. It's a reminder that we're all in this together, and we need to support each other in order to protect our communities and our planet. Story number three. According to the BBC, Ukraine has accused Russian forces of blowing up the Kakovka Dam in the Kherson region, causing water to burst through and affecting thousands of people living downstream. The Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, upstream from the dam and in Russian hands, is also at risk due to the reliance on the Kakovka reservoir for water to keep it cooled. Ukraine has accused Russia of a number of attacks on dams and power plants since the Russian invasion in February 2022. Some experts believe targeting dams could be part of a broader attempt to weaken Ukraine's critical infrastructure. The Geneva Conventions and their protocols explicitly ban wartime attacks on installations containing dangerous forces such as dams. There's something seriously concerning about these attacks on dams in Ukraine, Linda. It's not just about the immediate destruction, but also the long-term impact on the people living downstream. I mean, their drinking water supplies are threatened, and agricultural land is getting flooded. It's a mess. Absolutely, Mark. The situation is quite alarming, especially when you consider the potential consequences for the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. It relies on the Kakovka reservoir for water to keep it cooled, and any disruption in that supply could be disastrous. Yeah, and it's not like this is a new tactic either. We've seen this kind of thing before, like back in World War II when the Soviet army destroyed the dam at Zaporizhia. Thousands of people died as a result, and it seems like history is repeating itself. Indeed. It's a tragic reminder of the past. And what's even more troubling is that attacking dams is considered a war crime under the Geneva Conventions. These are civilian infrastructures, and targeting them has catastrophic effects on innocent people. I get that, but I also understand that in war, things can get, well, complicated. If there was a military unit near the dam, then maybe it could be seen as a legitimate target. 
But from what we know, that doesn't seem to be the case here. You're right, Mark. The line between military necessity and the protection of civilians is often blurred. But in this case, the damage done to the civilian population far outweighs any potential military advantage. It's a clear violation of international law. It's just a terrible situation all around. I can't help but wonder what the end game is here. Is it just to weaken Ukraine's critical infrastructure? Or is there something more sinister at play? I guess only time will tell. Yes, it's a complex and evolving situation. As the conflict continues, we can only hope that the international community will work together to prevent further attacks on critical infrastructure and protect the innocent civilians caught in the crossfire. Story number four. During a visit to Kiev, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, as reported by The Guardian, accused Russia of causing the flooding from the breached Kakovka Dam in southern Ukraine, saying it was the direct consequence of Russia's invasion. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky appeared to confirm that a counteroffensive is underway, stating that counteroffensive and defensive actions are taking place in Ukraine. Meanwhile, the UN's top aid official warned that the flooding from the breached dam has forced thousands to flee their homes and prompted fears of humanitarian and environmental disasters. This destruction of the Kakovka Dam, Linda, it's just another example of how conflicts like the Russia-Ukraine war can have devastating consequences on infrastructure. And, you know, it's not just about the immediate damage, it's about the ripple effect, the humanitarian crises that follow. Absolutely, Mark. The flooding caused by the dam's destruction has forced thousands to flee their homes, and the UN's top aid official Martin Griffiths has said that an extraordinary 700,000 people are now in need of drinking water. It's heartbreaking to think about the impact on these communities. It's just awful, Linda. And you know, it's not only the local communities that are affected. This flooding of agricultural land could lead to a cascade of problems, like lower grain exports and higher food prices worldwide. It's like a domino effect, really. That's true, Mark. And we can't forget the role that international relations play in these situations. Canada's Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, has accused Russia of being directly responsible for the dam's destruction. While Russia claims that Ukraine fired on it, it's a complex web of blame and responsibility. Yeah. And speaking of Canada, Trudeau's been stepping up with relief funding, pledging C-10 million dollars to help with the flood relief efforts. It's good to see countries like Canada and France stepping up to help out, despite the geopolitical tensions. Definitely, Mark. It's crucial that the international community comes together to address these humanitarian crises, regardless of the complex political landscape. The people affected by these disasters need our support and compassion now more than ever. Story number five. Former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has resigned as a member of parliament, claiming he was forced out in a stitch-up by his political opponents, as reported by Al Jazeera. Johnson has been under investigation by a cross-party committee about whether he deliberately lied to parliament over parties when he was in office. By quitting, Johnson avoids the consequences of a humiliating fight to remain an MP in his Uxbridge and South Reeslip seat in northwest London where he holds a slim majority of just over 7,000. Johnson's resignation will likely be seen as his revenge on Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, whose conservatives are well down in the polls with a general election looming next year.
The theme of discussion is how political scandals, such as Partygate that led to Boris Johnson's resignation from the UK Parliament, can impact a politician's career and the broader political landscape, while also exploring the possibility of political comebacks following major controversies. Now, I've got to say, Linda, Boris Johnson's resignation sure has thrown a wrench into the UK's political scene. It's like he's trying to get some kind of revenge on Rishi Sunak and the Conservative Party. But, you know, politicians have been known to bounce back from scandals before. I mean, just look at Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky scandal. That's true, Mark. But it's important to consider the broader implications of these scandals on the political landscape. In the case of Boris Johnson, his resignation might lead to further instability within the Conservative Party and could potentially impact their chances in the upcoming general election. It's not just about the individual politician, but also about the ripple effects their actions can have on their party and the government as a whole. Absolutely, I get that. But let's not forget that politicians are human too, and they're bound to make mistakes. What I'm trying to say is, maybe we should give them a chance to redeem themselves and show that they've learned from their missteps. After all, everyone deserves a second chance, right? And who knows, maybe Boris Johnson could make a comeback in the future if he plays his cards right. I understand your point, Mark, but I think it's crucial to consider the severity of the scandal and the impact it has on public trust. In the case of Partygate, it's not just about a personal mistake, but rather about breaking COVID lockdown rules while the general public was suffering. It's essential for politicians to be held accountable for their actions, especially when they undermine the trust people have in their leaders. A comeback might be possible, but it would require a significant effort to regain that trust. Yeah, I see where you're coming from, Linda. Trust is a big deal, especially when it comes to politicians. I guess it'll be interesting to see how this whole situation unfolds and whether Boris Johnson can ever make a return to the political arena. But hey, stranger things have happened, right? Indeed, Mark. Politics can be quite unpredictable, and we've seen many surprising twists and turns throughout history. The key takeaway here is that political scandals can have far-reaching consequences, not just for the individuals involved, but also for their parties and the political landscape as a whole. And while comebacks are possible, they are by no means guaranteed and often require a genuine effort to rebuild trust and credibility. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.